You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. A weekly devotion about what is going on in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor at Cornerstone, and I am joined by... Cody Hickman. Cody is with me again today. Cody, it's good to have you. Good to be here. And we are discussing... Uh, chapter three of our book in, uh, well, our book, The Gospel for Real Life. It's, it's been a helpful little book, and we're encouraging our community groups to be reading this and working through this together. The whole point of this book is to help us see how much we not only need the gospel to renew our relationship with God and draw us into relationship with Him, but just how much we need the gospel on a regular basis to help found our identity and help us to live our lives joyfully as Christians. So what are we talking about today, Cody? Well, today we're going to look particularly at Christ's obedience, both in regards to the traditional theological designations of his active obedience, his passive obedience, and what it means to be united in Christ and what that means for the Christian life. Yeah, and I, I don't have a whole lot of expectation that everybody understands all those terms, which is one of the reasons I'm excited about this chapter. Because when we think about obedience, well, let's just ask the question. When, when you hear the word obedience, what, what picture comes to mind? What do you think about? And, and what does your heart feel about the calling, the command, the responsibility of obedience? Well, typically, I think it is those things. We, we usually think of the commands of God and just striving to follow those commands. Yeah. And in regards to the feelings of our heart, sometimes that's uh, admittedly not... It's a burden, not right? the best feeling in the world. You're right, yeah. I, I, I have a picture in my mind of um, Christian on his journey, his progress as a pilgrim, when he comes to the the hill difficulty, and he sees the hill, the the requirements of God's law over him like this great burdensome shadow, and he's just fearful at the prospect of this. Not, not just because the law is so daunting, it is daunting, but because he knows himself, and he knows his inability to obey the law. He knows his inability to be perfectly obedient, which is what the law requires. And so, I mean, I guess that's the feeling I have. And I, I, I would imagine that many of our listeners, many of us, have that feeling when it comes to obedience, is that we understand that obedience is what God requires. Uh, we understand that obedience is right and it's good. And we also understand that we have no hope of obeying, that on our own, left to ourselves, this is a, a daunting prospect, uh, a hopeless prospect. So the the thoughts of obedience, one thing. The feelings of obedience are a completely different thing. But I don't think that's the picture that Bridges wants to paint for us in this chapter when it comes to obedience. What is he really getting at? What is he helping us understand about obedience in this chapter? It's not about our obedience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about Christ's obedience. You talked about the active obedience of Christ, the passive obedience of Christ. Well, what do those things mean? We'll get to that in a minute. But he also wants us to understand something about obedience I mean, the, the title of the chapter is The Pleasure of Obedience. Now, when we think about obedience and we have all those daunting images, that's one thing. But what about pleasure? What do we think about when we think of the word pleasure? I think of something that is fulfilling, something that is delightful, something that is as far removed from <laughs> painful and 
I'd say anything that would make us not want to do for it if we so think of terms and the pleasure and pain principles, so to speak. There you go, yeah. So, I mean, I would think of obedience almost in terms of fear, mm-hmm. weight, burden, um, and, and I would think of pleasure as the opposite of those things. So it's almost an oxymoron. He's talking about the pleasure of obedience. Um, now, okay, so let's talk a little bit about finding pleasure in obedience. I mean, what's the biblical concept of this? I mean, he talks about it. Uh, we can look at it together. He talks about it on page 33. And, and really, this chapter is not about our obedience so much as it's about Jesus' obedience. And he goes through, in the first two pages of chapter 3, just helping us to think through Jesus' life. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thought or fascinating reality, but something that we don't often meditate on. We tend to, when we think about the gospel, we think about Jesus and what he's done, we rush to the cross, right? But no, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience. He was tempted, the scriptures tell us, in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. Okay, well, if we try to take our own thoughts and feelings about obedience and put them on Jesus, then we might get this picture of a guy who was living a perfect life, but doing it with without joy, and that's just not the case. What, where, where's that concept come from of joy, of Jesus delighting to do the will of God? I think, as Bridges mentions in this passage, uh, looks at the Messianic Psalm, Psalm forty, verse eight, where he says, at least in one translation, "I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart." But as he also said, it's also translated, "I delight to do your will, O oh my God." Yeah. And since it's a messianic psalm, this is Jesus talking. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, even in, in John, um, when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, or rather actually when he's speaking to his disciples after he spoke to the Samaritan woman, um, he said, my food, kind of what sustains me, you know, what brings life to me is to do the will of him who sent me. Man, that's a powerful concept. The reality that Jesus not only delighted, desire, took pleasure in doing the will of the Father, but he was sustained like food would sustain him. He was sustained by doing what honored his Father. And that's amazing. Okay, so what does all that have to do with us? What is the significance of Jesus delighting to do the perfect will of God, which he did? How does that benefit us in any way? Well, that's, that's where we get to the discussion about the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. Now, let's consider this. What, what does he mean by active obedience and passive obedience? Why are those two terms important for us to know? Well, I like how he says initially that both of those terms, the active obedience and the passive obedience of Christ, are both related to the law of God. Okay. So whenever he's talking about Christ's active obedience, he's speaking specifically about the way that Christ in his life fulfilled the whole law of God and kept it perfectly. So he was an active participant in obeying the law of God. Yes. Right. What is the passive part of this? The passive part, which and I think that's it may be just the case of the language breakdown there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> because it... In one sense, we're saying that Jesus was actively passive. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> yeah. and, and I guess by that meaning, just skipping ahead of all that stuff, um, the passive obedience of Christ is where he received the, the penalty for 
not for not keeping the whole law, but particularly the penalty that we have accrued, in which he took the consequences of sin and the punishment of sin upon himself. Yeah, but it wasn't the consequences for his sin. It no, was the consequences no, no, no. for our sin. It was the consequences, uh, the due penalty for the sins of all those who believe. That's how I like to say it from the pulpit. So we could understand that Jesus wasn't being punished because he deserved to be punished. He willingly chose to suffer the, the shame of the cross, um, but he was receiving in his flesh the due penalty for our sins. That's why we call it passive, right? Yes. There's the idea that it wasn't what he deserved, it's what we deserve. And I'd say in the other sense of where passivity is actually active is the fact that Jesus willingly yeah. did this. He was a full participant, full willing participant, and he freely chose down to lay down his life for us. And maybe we don't stress this enough, but the reality that he delighted to do the will of the Father, and it was like like eating a good meal for him to honor and obey the Father, that not only did he willingly endure the cross, but he, he was delighting to endure the cross. Yes. He endured the shame of the cross for the joy the delight that was set before him in it to not only honor the Father and obey the Father and his plan, but also to win us perfectly and completely into his family. So the active obedience of Christ is what we look at when it comes to his perfect fulfillment of the law. He obeyed the law perfectly. He, he didn't stray from the law in any way. He didn't transgress the law in any way. He was without sin, perfectly without sin perfectly obedient. And in his death, he received in his flesh the due penalty for the sins of all those who believe. We, we look at that as his active and his passive obedience. Um, Bridges sums it up in this way on page 34. He actively obeyed the Father's universal moral will, which we call the law of God, and he passively obeyed the Father's specific will for him, namely to suffer the penalty for our sin. There's the mechanism of, of what Christ accomplished, but how does it become ours? And, and what does this mean to and for us? It particularly deals with the way as Christ is God's appointed legal representative for us. Legal representative. Okay, explain that. How is Christ's out, you know, God's appointed legal representative for us? Well, this is what we looked at in chapter 2. Just as Adam was the legal representative of the human race, so that the work that he did, or perhaps the lack thereof, in one sense, mm -hmm. um, his disobedience was our disobedience. It yeah. says in Romans 5, uh, through one man sin came to the world, and sin through death, and in him all sinned. Right. So Adam's sin becomes our sin. Because he is our federal head, which is another way to say the legal representative. Federal head, legal representative. In Adam's sin, all of humanity is now under sin. Because he, God viewed him, set him up to be the representative for all of humanity. And, and that's, a, that's a sad state of affairs for us. We, we are in Adam, and in Adam all die because we're the recipients of his, his sin, his brokenness, his curse. But praise be to God that in Jesus, we have a new representative head. We have a new federal head. And so all who are in Christ are now the recipients of all of his benefits. Yes. Right? So there's a, there's a theological term we use. We call this union with Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. So 
where do we see this biblically? I mean, we, we can use all these theological terms like active obedience, passive obedience. We can use this term like, or this phrase, union with Christ, but where do we see this biblically? You mentioned Romans chapter 5. Are there some other places that just come to mind that help us to understand this reality of union? Well, I think you see the, you see the words in Christ or in the Lord, I mean, just everywhere. Right. Like, I mean, you could almost like take out Paul's letters of your Bible and chunk them across the room, and it's going to open to a page that has it on it somewhere. <laughs> that has a, uh, <laughs> the prepositions. That's what, I, I love this. Um, I remember one of my professors in seminary, he, he mentioned this to me, and I never really thought of it this way at, until that point, and I can't stop thinking of it, but the theology that we love is in the prepositions. For instance, I mean, if you read through particularly the first chapter of Ephesians, you'll see the prepositions in him, with him, for him, in him. It's just over and over and over. We are in the Lord. We have union with Christ is, is the point. Um, what, we ex- what he experienced and what he gained and what he earned, we now receive. Not because we earned it, but because he earned it. Our entry into receiving all of that is our faith and our trust in Him and our love for Him. So by virtue of our union with Christ, all that He has accomplished, He accomplished for our benefit. All that He did, all that He earned, He earned and has granted to us. So, man, what a, what a joyful reality. And that, this changes the conversation, right? If we go back yeah. to think about what we were talking about earlier, about obedience and how we feel, when we think about obedience, that burden that we feel, that fear that we feel. Well, now we see that Jesus delighted to obey. He joyfully and perfectly obeyed the Father, both actively honoring every command and passively receiving the due penalty for sin. And now we, by virtue of our faith in Jesus, have entered into all of his victory. Everything that he accomplished is ours. Everything that he has earned, we receive. Now how do we look at obedience? A lot more joy, a lot more thanksgiving, a lot more sincerity. It's just incredible to begin to wrap your mind around the fact that now because of what Christ has done and because of our union in him, so that everything that he has done, both in his life and in his death, is now something that we can properly say to have done because of our unity, our immersion within him is just wild. I mean, to think that, you know, Christ's life can now rightly be called our life. To think that Christ's death and the penalty that he paid for our sins can now be rightly called our death. And I think probably one of the best places to, to actually just see that spelled out is really, you can say the entire book of Romans, but yeah. kind of those chapters right there through Romans 5 and 6 is where that really gets fleshed out. But yeah, and, and Paul in Romans chapter 6 helps us understand that one of, the, one of the most clear and definitive pictures of our union with Christ is baptism. Right? I mean, it seems like an odd thing, this initiation right into the faith, but it's really a picture of something. He says, um, do you not know that all of you who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death? I mean, we are so connected and unified with Jesus uh, by virtue of our faith, and baptism is a display of our faith, uh, that he says, you're dead with Jesus. You're, you're dead in that sense, and now you need to be raised just like Jesus was raised, and you need to live a new life. 
Um, so yeah, that union is very tangible in Romans chapter 6. Um, okay, so we've talked about th- some theology. We've uh, you know, looked at some passages of Scripture, and this is a great chapter, one that we really need to, to read. Um, in one sense, we need to read it because we need to see a stress placed not just on the cross of Christ, but also on the life of Christ, that active obedience and what it means to us. But really, I think that's where we need to get to. What does this mean to us? How does understanding this reality, this gospel reality, how does this help us live our lives as Christians? How does this seep into our daily lives? It should help to remove from us any pretense of any type of attainable self-righteousness that will lead us down any way of a self-salvation project. And on the other end of it, where it, you know, we, we may reach that point of inverted self-righteousness, where daily we, we continue to be like Christian in front of the, you know, just this overbearing, uh, this overbearing reality of the law bearing down on us to where we just think, you know, this is impossible. We just feel the full weight of that condemnation. And we just look back to the identity mm-hmm. we have in Christ as our legal representative and that you think that's totally gone. Yeah, um, He has done all that for us. And because we are in us, the work that he has done is now ours. So now all of those, that burden that we, we would have felt and, and trying to go through with, um, perfectly keeping the law or I'd say any striving toward perfection or any desire to be perfect or all of our shortcomings. We know that's been taken care of in Christ. Yeah. I think of it in terms of relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, God the Father loved and loves His Son. I mean, there are several occasions where God actually speaks when Jesus is on the scene. Uh, At His baptism is one of those. And then at the transfiguration. Um, at his baptism, the heavens open, the, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And it's hard for us to imagine this, but based on our union with Christ, his active obedience, his passive obedience, uh, and our faith and our trust in that, um, when God says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, He's saying the same thing of us because we are so tucked away and hidden in Christ that he is well pleased with us because what Christ has accomplished, we have accomplished. What Christ has earned, we have earned by virtue of our trust in him. And that's a, that's a strange concept for a lot of us. A lot of us think that when God is looking at us now, right, then God looks down on us. He's disappointed, right? We're, we blew it today. We we got cross with our child or you know we didn't honor our wife the way we might should have in that moment or you know we 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 thought grumbly thoughts or whatever the case may have been and you know, God's not smiling on our sin he calls us to repentance he he disciplines those whom he loves and so that's an aspect of his work in us the holy spirit is convicting us of sin and and helping us to love obedience and and hate unrighteousness disobedience but the truth of the matter is that because of our faith in Christ and our relationship to Him, we're loved by our Father. He delights in us like He delighted in His Son. And that changes the way we've, we feel. It changes the way our outlook on our day when we know that 
our Father loves us the way he loved his Son. I like the way that Jerry Bridges uh, wraps up this chapter. He wraps up this chapter helping us to see this very picture that I'm talking about. And you may want to chime in here on in a minute, but he says this. He says, have you ever thought about the wonderful truth that Christ lived his perfect life in your place and on your behalf? Has it yet gripped you that when God looks at you today, he sees you clothed in the perfect, sinless obedience of his Son? And that when he says, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, that he includes you in that warm embrace. The extent to which we truly understand this is the extent to which we will begin to enjoy those unsearchable riches that are found in Christ. Man, that's so good. It's so good to help us understand and delight in and rejoice in and be comforted by not our obedience today, but Christ's obedience, which should, and we'll learn this in the you know, chapters to come, should be the motivation for our own obedience. You have anything else to add? I was just saying that last point. Um, that's something that a, a dear cornerstone brother tells us all the time. You know, is, is that we as believers don't begin to grasp the fact that all the love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that He has for us. But practically speaking, that's that's still a very difficult concept for me yeah. to to come about. And I don't know if it's just because of the you know, our, our sins and our failures are just always so present in our mind that we constantly feel what you said, that, that disappointment. Um, that honestly, I think dwelled upon too much and especially not repented of, just ends up keeping us, driving us further and further and further away from those unsearchable riches that he has mm-hmm. talked about. Yeah. All the more reason for us to learn not only how to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, but to really learn the ins and outs of the gospel, to understand more deeply and more fully what he has accomplished. So that it's the truth that we're preaching to ourselves, not some version of it that's truncated or or short-sighted. Hey, we're not perfect in this. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to learn how how the gospel affects our daily lives in a very real way. And so next week, we're going to be talking about justice satisfied, um, how Christ accomplished perfect justice for us. So join in next week in that conversation. I can't wait to hear uh, how this book is affecting you and affecting your small group. Listen, if you want to know more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at cbcwiley. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cornerstone. I don't know about Facebook. Do you do Facebook? I don't. Some of our people do. I hope it's helpful to those of you who do it. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Cody, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. We'll see you or talk to you next week.